The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Spot on Stengel stuns the champions. The Daily Show at Villa Park. And it doesn't take long for Mead to get back up to speed. It's Lindsay Hooper here and joining me today is the Athletic Women's Football reporter, Charlotte Harper. And Charlotte, I've just learned that you're going to have quite a few days ahead with a certain case that you've got to try and write about. Well, we're not quite at the writing stage, but yes, uh, last November, Kira Hamraoui and Amanata Diallo, the PSG players, uh, were involved in an attack. Uh, Kira Hamraoui was beaten with an iron bar um, by four men. And uh, now coming to September, there's been a new twist to the plot. That sounds quite cinematic, a movie. Obviously, it's a very serious situation. But in November last year, Diallo was arrested after the incident, but was released without charge and has consistently denied any involvement. And uh, she awaits a court hearing, which will take place tomorrow. So, this um, is such a crazy story, Charlotte. And you, you've got to get all the legal ramblings right. You've got to do quite a lot of extensive research, I guess, for this. But we will we'll keep our eyes peeled for this article that comes out on Friday. And you think there'll be some new information in that as well? I believe so, yeah. With um, Diallo's uh, hearing tomorrow, it's not open to the public. Um, but yeah, watch this space. And uh, it's a very interesting, but obviously kind of serious consequences for everyone involved. So yeah, a situation that we won't take lightheartedly, um, but we'll, we'll see uh, what happens come the end of the week. We're also joined as well by former Manchester City and England goalkeeper Karen Bardsley, who is listening on there probably thinking, this can't be real. These stories that have, have emerged over the last 12 months in, in women's football as well, we, we're not used to it. Well, no. Hi, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to be able to follow up with anything as significant as that, unfortunately. Well, or fortunately, however you I think fortunately, it, but, Karen. I yeah, think fortunately, maybe. actually. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, the fact that we're talking about something like that, um, in women's football is quite shocking. We'll go on to all things WSL instead. It was disappointing the opening weekend, of course, couldn't be the grand showcase event that we thought it was going to be completely situations out of our control, obviously with the passing of Her Majesty. There has been now the funeral that's happened. It does feel like we're returning to a little bit of normality, but of course football as part of the whole world really wanted to pay its respects and did so. But this weekend it did get underway. It brought us some record crowds, lots of drama as well. What was the highlight for both of you of the weekend? Because there were there was a lot to digest. Charlotte first. It was just the shock. <laughs> If you said to me Aston Villa would be 2-0 up against Manchester City and Liverpool would win against Chelsea, I wouldn't have believed you, Lindsay. So it's the, you know, the WSL shock factor that we haven't had before on the opening weekend. Liverpool beating the, the reigning champions of the WSL was something that no one really expected. So, yeah, shock is probably the best way to uh, describe how I felt about the weekend as well. 
Hold on, we'll freeze those shocked expressions on your faces, which I can see because we're all on Zoom right now, and then we'll go into a digest of all of those games. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. They've got a possibility, it's Stengel, challenged by Buchanan, penalty! There she goes, Stengel, she's down again! What a turn-up this is! Let's begin with that upset that you just mentioned. Liverpool against Chelsea on Sunday night, Prenton Park. I was there with Sky Sports and I have to say, I didn't think I'd see a game which was decided purely by penalties. Karen, it's the first time actually that we've had a game ever in WSL that's had three penalties that were scored. Yeah, yeah, so I've been told. I mean, I think... Ultimately, uh, what I was was really impressed by was um, Katie Stengel's penalty taking. You know, um, to be given two penalties and to have sent the keeper, you know, the wrong way both times, or at least to score on either side of the net both times was uh, was was it was. There were two very well taken penalties, and I was very very impressed with that. She was very jovial in the interview afterwards into the Sky Studio with Caroline Kelly and Karen about that. She was asked, I mean, obviously as a striker as well, Kelly is so intrigued as to to why she opted that the different way the second time. But she she all she let on, Karen, and you've got to tell us from a goalkeeping point of view, is that she makes her mind up and once she sees the goalkeeper has decided something, she sticks with her original decision unless she's given an indication from the body language that they're going to go that way. Um, and you think that's effective, effective technique? Oh, I mean, it clearly was, wasn't it? Um, I mean, for me, it was always a, a kind of a, a test of wills, wasn't it? Um, I think earlier in my career, I would always try to make the first move. But then obviously, when people started to get a bit more confident, they started going down the middle. So it, as a keeper, it makes you wait a little bit longer. So uh, I think the older I got, the more I started to try and back myself around well. I've done my research. I know, you know, what these players' tendencies are. I know what the, the way they're approaching is is telling me. And ultimately, I have to rely on my athleticism and, and my brain to tell me, you know, if I can get there or not. But, um, yeah, ultimately, two really, really well-taken penalties. You know, um, I think the first was low into the goalkeeper's right, really well-taken on the ground. It's going to be difficult for anyone to get to. And, and the second um, to the goalkeeper's left had a bit of pace taken out of it and slightly lifted. And I thought oh, they, that, they were cheeky that, yeah, they were. It was. I mean, she was calmness personified. They were 1-0 down before those two penalties um, that resulted in the 2-1 victory for Liverpool. A first for Liverpool back in the, the top flight after two seasons away. The perfect start, Charlotte, for them. But you would think after being down 1-0 inside the first minute, you, you didn't really predict this one happening, did you, from that point? Not at all. And I think that's where Chelsea uh, said that, you know, they weren't clinical enough, sloppy in the final third, um, some loose passes. And, and that's where you really need to, you know, double your your lead and put some distance between yourself and the opponent. Of course, we've got Kerr's goal that was ruled out for offside by the assistant referee. We don't have VAR in the WSL. It was very, very tight. Um, it was onside. It wasn't tight. It there was on. You go. <laughs> <laughs> So you think there, if Chelsea are going 2-0 up, then would that be a different story? Probably yes. Yes, 
probably yes. But um, it is what it is, and you have to play to the whistle, as you're always told, Karen. So uh, Liverpool, only the second newly promoted side ever to win their first WSL game and the first since 2015. But what I want to talk about is Chelsea's form on the opening day of seasons. It was something that I brought up pre-match with Emma. Um, as holders, they'd won just one of their last four going into this. It's now one in the last five season openers. Um, so what is it about that opening day where really you're rubbing your hands together, aren't you? If you're Matt Beard, you're saying if we're going to beat them on any day, it's going to be this day, the start of the season. I love that stat. I had no idea. I genuinely had no idea. Obviously, up until this point, I was always thinking about our team and our preparation before. Um so yeah, that's that is really interesting, and and to your point, um, it, it probably was a very 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 good opportunity for for Liverpool to take them on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think probably similar to most teams, you know, City for instance, a lot of new players um, just gotta get time to bet everyone in and and build a squad, you know, that that's familiar with each other. But um, fortunately, there's a lot of games ahead, so. From, from what we've seen in the past, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's over. It's not all doom and gloom. No, um, Charlotte, um, it certainly isn't doom and gloom. I'm, I spoke to Emma afterwards. She said, we'll pick ourselves up from this. It's just a one game of football. Um, and they've done that before. You know, they, they lost the opening game last season, went on to win the title by a point. So there isn't really too much alarm for Chelsea fans, would you say? Classic Emma Hayes, very rational, not letting emotions kind of influence too much dust yourselves off go again and as you say they're they're WSL champions for a reason it's Emma Hayes's the WSL is her bread and butter as she said it's consistency over a much longer period of time than any kind of tournament Chelsea know how to win it's just new signings as well takes time those new signings, Charlotte, actually, who impressed you? Because I thought Buchanan certainly caught the eye. I know she was at fault giving away that, that final penalty, but she looked like she slotted right in, didn't she, to the, to the Chelsea back line? Exactly. And she's got Champions League experience at Lyon, um, you know, Canadian international as well. Then she, she knows what she's doing. Uh, yes, that last penalty, and you can see that reaction when she put her shirt over her head. She knew um, but Buchanan, it will be very interesting, Chelsea's defence, how they're very fluid between that back three and back four. Um, Lauren James especially, I thought uh, she looked really impressive. You know, I thought Chelsea really was sluggish in the second half um, and the tempo dropped. And again, just we saw efforts from long range. It just wasn't quite clicking for them. And I think Emma Hayes said they couldn't hit a barn door. She did say that. <laughs> she did say that, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. I thought James was really good. I thought she yeah. played well, really well from what I could see. And it was nice to kind of see her get into a bit more of a fluid rhythm, um, you know, and, and, and taking good spaces up going forward because, yeah, okay, there's a structure, but, you know, you got to give, you got to play what the game's given you as well. But I did have a question around, like, um, obviously with Ingle starting, I imagine Peniel Harder was meant to start. And, I mean, have we got any news about that? Yes. So uh, Peniel Harder picked up an injury in the warm-up and then was a late replacement. So there was Mm. a tactical switch to bring Ingle in. And actually, you've brought me on to this, Karen, because I had a conversation in the car on the way home from Liverpool about this. And in your opinion, if Harder starts that match, 
then do we see as many of these offside runs from Sam Kerr, whether they're onside or offside? Because Penilla Harder, <laughs> she she attacks players, doesn't she? So what I'm thinking is a couple of those chances that Sam Kerr gets, she might not be offside if Penilla Harder has driven at a player, managed to get across in the box to Sam Kerr that way, rather than Sam Kerr feeling like she was high and always trying to run off the, the last defender and it wasn't working. I mean, potentially, yeah. I mean, they obviously have a rapport. Um, not that, that Sophie Engel and Sam Kerr don't. Maybe there's a, just a slight bit more of familiarity in terms of how they see the game. But I think, you know, what, what really stood out for me was actually the ball that Fran Kirby did play into Sam Kerr for the ball that um, for the offside on Sam Kerr. For that, I mean, it was such a, a well-taken half volley. I, I would have loved to have seen that stand. But again, you know, that was almost Kira Walsh-esque from, from the final, wasn't it? You know? get the head up, see the run off the shoulder and a great ball through. But yeah, to your point, perhaps, you know, it, it could have mitigated that um, offside situation. But ultimately, I think, who, who are we to say? I mean, if Sam started a bit later, deeper, you know, who knows? But it, it's, it's a sign of things to come, that finish, in my opinion. And we don't want to take anything away from Liverpool here, Charlotte, because Matt Beard has made it quite public knowledge that he's worked with this team, that if they go behind, he knows it's going to be a long season and that they are going to face adversity during it. And they've been working mentally on if you go behind, staying in matches and not collapsing. And that's exactly what they did here. They did not they did not ever look like they were defeated. No, and I think, you know, you say in tennis don't look across who you're playing against, if it's Roger Federer or Serena Williams. And they didn't do that. They weren't intimidated by Chelsea. They they took it to them. And Matt Beard was saying he's got such competition for players within the squad. Um, so that mentality to go out, reigning champions, uh, and beat them 2-1, brilliant boost for confidence. But I don't think Matt Beard will let them get carried away with themselves either. That'll be feet on the ground and back to the training and the routines as normal. We will move on in just a moment. A couple of goalkeeping issues that I do want to just, first of all, run past Karen. Uh, Michael (laughs) Cox, who does so much great analysis for us at The Athletic, Karen, um, he tweeted saying, fair play to Liverpool goalkeeper Rachel Laws for having the ball in her hands for fully 25 seconds without the referee or opponents questioning it. Uh, Karen would never have done that, would she? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'd like to think that people would be up in arms if I even tried to. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have probably thought about it at some point. But, yeah, I don't think I would have gotten away with that at all. But, um, yeah. Are Michael, we going to have to start um, watching this? This time Is time wasting creeping into the women's game? Well, you know, I think not necessarily. Well, it, it's always been there, hasn't it? It's just like I don't think there's been this many eyes on the game before. So, game management we look at the situations in the men's game with Newcastle and Nick Pope and those types of things and you know if it gets added on at the end then then that's what it needs to be that's what needs to be done but um yeah it's it's a bit silly you know with that rule kind of always being at the referee's discretion or however you'd like to interpret it um you know there have been so many times where I've been rushed on or given a yellow for you know just (laughs) trying to 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 take a goal kick like ever so slightly slower than normal but yeah you know it's just one of those things where 
you're going to try when you when you've got you know the reigning champions um on the back foot you're going to try and take every second you can to try and keep a leg up aren't you so mm. um, and who knows maybe it was added on that was a good point actually because there were seven added minutes it was that nasty injury to Kiernan um that probably took up the bulk of that time but that 25 seconds that might have been factored in by the referee <laughs> who knows i think maybe michael needs to uh Ask the right people instead of the Twitterverse. Yeah, 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 yeah. instead of Twitterverse. Um, and a final one, Chelsea, of course, um, we've known this story about Anne-Catherine Berger not being available at the start of the season because of the return of her cancer. But they have confirmed um, that she is available now and she's going to be back in training with the squad, which is such a relief for everyone, isn't it, Karen? I mean, that's amazing news that, that she's going to be back in the squad and she's going to be training. Well, let's just hope that, you know, the the reoccurrence that she did um, experience is, is kind of done and dusted now. Um, she's been such a good a good goalkeeper and a good presence to have in the WSL. You know, since she came in, she's really impressed. I remember watching her at, at Birmingham. Um, you know, she really frustrated us back in the day when I was um, playing. And then yeah, to see her really thrive at Chelsea has been really really exciting. Um, but yeah, I was I was really upset for her when I heard that that had come back because she'd obviously handled it like an absolute champion. Um, so to see her back in the team sheet and you know available to play and to train is 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 a relief for the entire women's football community. Let's go back to Friday night and how it all started. Arsenal against Brighton. It kicked off this brand new WSL season. Kim Little got the first goal of the campaign. It came after the first red card of the campaign. Are we going to see more of those? Um, Emma Culver clipping the heels of Stina Blackstenius after seven minutes when she was through on goal. But Blackstenius did appear to be offside. Uh, your thoughts on this opening game, Charlotte? Um, did you feel that Arsenal laid down a marker for everyone else, that they're here, they're back and even better? Definitely. Four goals, clean sheet. Art de Roche, uh, the Athletics Arsenal reporter, has written about Jonas Edeval's uh, desire for stability in, in that Arsenal squad and how this has kind of really been coming ever since they signed players in January and building from that with Viv Viviana Miedemar dropping into the number 10 role and uh, Stina Blackstenius going into the number 9 role. What are we calling for that, Lindsay? Is that a uh, Viv Stenius? <laughs> Sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> Vincent. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Stellimar. I don't know. Yeah. That sounds like an eye condition, but I don't know. I don't know which one we go with. Um it, oh, it, I hope they're not it, contagious. It was... <laughs> I hope it is. I hope it's really <laughs> contagious. I'll get a bit of that. I think, uh, you know, Brighton liked to set up more defensively and then hit on the counter-attack. So when Emma Kuhlberg was sent off so early on, that really killed the game. And, you know, Brighton then had their backs against the wall. But it, highlight for me was seeing Mead's quick feet again for that fourth <sighs> goal. Just that you know, striker instinct you'd think to perhaps hit it first time without having a clear sight of goal, but she was just so nimble to take that touch. Um, that was the highlight for me for that game. Yeah, Beth Mead picking up where she left off with the Euros, yeah. um, Karen. I mean, a brace in this one to start. She scored on the opening day at the Emirates last season as well. So this this period of form that she's enjoying looks like it's going to continue. 
Well, I mean, for, for the WSL's sake and women's football's sake, let's, let's hope so. Um, you know, there were a lot of moments in that, in that game that I was very impressed with just, um, a few things off the ball. I mean, for the first goal, like watching, you know, Ford go down that left side and absolutely just, <laughs> I don't know who it was. I couldn't see, um, uh, I think it was Brighton's right back, but, um, yeah, Left she sat, she, she, yeah. she sat her down and delivered a great ball into Kim Little and the detail that Kim Little, you know, how she took that ball, the body shape, you know, she took it back foot and, and, and sold the defender and it was just a really well taken goal. I like that a lot, but yeah, going back to Beth Mead, I think what I was really impressed with was, was the way she read the buildup of that play and she stopped her run and kind of let the defense continue to drop. And then she pulled off and then just was ready for that second ball, which I mean, it's, it's in a way it's a bit of a poacher's goal, isn't it? She put herself in the right positions, but essentially like that's what she was doing the entire summer was getting herself in those right positions and taking the opportunity. So lots of real things that I was um, happy to see there, particularly from, from, from Beth Mead. But yeah, I mean, going back to some of the earlier points around, you know, starting well with Chelsea, et cetera, like, Arsenal set the bar, haven't they? So that's gonna that's gonna be a real fun one to watch. Jonas Eideval afterwards did speak about, uh, and we were aware going into the game, but certainly he spoke about it post match as well about the practice sessions that they've had against the Arsenal under fifteen boys. Karen, you're nodding along. Is this something that happens in the women's game? Has it happened for some time, whereby you play the under fifteen boys within the teams? You look like you've been been there, done it, got the t shirt. Yeah, yeah, and the and the keychain. Um, so <laughs> we, I mean, for as long as I can remember, it was it was always trying to find, you know, the the best opposition you could in training. So sometimes, yeah, that would be, you know, your own team. But when you've got the good fortune of being in an academy or in a club that has, you know, a another boys team, like such good opposition and it's such good tests for for the players I always love training alongside the lads as well because I mean really they're for for a goalkeeper as well the strength the speed the power you know the uh the backlift is is different in the in the men's game there's hardly any backlift so you have to be kind of riding that knife edge all the time being ready to set being ready to move and I think that would, would e- equally transfer to outfield players as well I think it was 24 14 up until maybe 2017 or something like that we were training alongside some of the (laughs) some of the 18s and things like that so it was always um you kind of hold your breath a little bit if you were caught in a 1v1 situation with a a 17 or 18 year old lad and you're just going to get absolutely burned so um so for you that would have been that would have been phil foden right (laughs) well i mean there were a few that are probably playing you know uh, championship or prem at the minute so that's um yeah that's pretty weird isn't it <laughs> to think about but I can think of numerous situations particularly I'm not going to name any names that'd be a bit embarrassing but there were a few times where um there were some tasty nutmegs on the touchline and lots of oohs and ahs <laughs> from both the boys and the girls so yeah it was uh, it was pretty funny uh, yeah, I hope it was the women nutmegging the boys, to be honest. Was that, was that Nick Cushing's like idea as well at Man City, KB? Or like has that continued under Gareth? For a lot of for a lot of it, we were just like, Can we train with them? Can we train with them? They're like, you know, like they're just one pitch over, you know, or um if we were like take twenty fourteen, for example, you know, I think there were five of us that were professional full time. You know, we were training at, at at Platt Lane at the time before we moved to the CFA and 
you know, um, we would just get on like the five aside, the indoor pitches and just have like a little razz. And it was just, it was just a little razz, you know? love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was just good fun. So yeah, sometimes like the opportunities were there, but we were kind of like knocking on the door. Can we do this? Can we do this? Um, and every once in a while, someone needed a, a goalkeeper or someone needed a player. So we'd borrow one of theirs. They'd borrow one of ours. So it was, it was always, yeah, it was fun. Um, you don't see it really happening that much anymore, though, which is which is a shame. Here's what Jonas said about it, just playing into what you think the outfield players might learn. He said, when we're playing against boys, our positioning needs to be better because we don't have as much time to react. So that drives the positioning. And you'd agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you think about the, the distances between the ranks, you think about passing lanes, you think, all right, if I can't beat this guy pace for pace, I'm going to have to use my body to get across him to, to slow his run to the ball or our back four, back three, whoever is going to have to be closer or the, the midfield is going to have to be closer to the, the, the strikers to engage on a press, you know, so like it, it affects all of your positioning in every aspect. So, yeah, absolutely. I think I, I personally think it's a it's a really, really um, good tool to have. Well, now he's revealed that and you've revealed what it does as well. And maybe, you know, Carla Ward, Matt Beard, uh, got to be Mark Skinner listening in thinking, right, well, if we're not doing that already, we'll we'll do that too now. <laughs> well, if, if they're not listening, then they're missing a trick. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, I'm going to trust mean, that it... Laura Bassett's listening. She listens to this. She'll pass on the message. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think um, any opportunity to, to, to play against the lads, like it, it, it's really good. It's, it's really good for, um, for our learning anyway. Hopefully it's good for the lads as well. <laughs> I'm sure this is the section where Bass turns up the volume a little bit more because it's Manchester United now, um, 4-0 winners as well. So they also set down a huge statement uh, in their game against Reading. Um, I have to say, Maya Letizia is a player that I've admired for so long and she just slotted in seamlessly, didn't she, uh, on her debut for Manchester United, scoring twice, both from corners. Also in front of a crowd, Karen, that was over 5,000, 5,315 at Lee Sports Village. We both know that's a difficult place to get to, <laughs> but they were there. Oh my word. You know, it really is. I think even just... We were when I was at City and we were trying to get there. For some reason, we were always late, and it was just down the road. You know what I mean? So I don't know if it's just the one way in. I don't know if it's the what is it? The Morrison supermarket traffic on a Sunday. It's just tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know what to say about the Morrison's comments. To be honest, it could, it could be the Saturday shoppers. Um, Maya Letizia. Charlotte, for you, was she one of the signings of the summer, or is it too early to say that? Potentially, I think Hope Powell said, you know, it was a huge loss for Brighton, but what a gain for Manchester United. Two goals on your debut, um, but she just seems to have that character and personality to want to improve and is just all about the football, all consuming, the knowledge, uh, sleeps, eats, breathes it, as Hope Powell previously said. So delighted for her, especially on her debut, and could definitely come the end of the season with Manchester United chasing that Champions League spot uh, be a real difference. There are a lot of eyes as well post-Euros, Karen, on players like Alessia Russo, Ella Toon. Uh, we've had a window close, but my gosh, was I expecting some big bid to come in for one of those. 
Do Manchester United, do they need to deliver at least Champions League in order to hold on to those sorts of players? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that's where Alessio Russo and, and Ella Toon want to be playing. Um, and, you know, I mean, look how close it was last season. So I think they're certainly going to be knocking on the door. Yeah, with, with that transfer window coming up in, in, in the winter, I think there will be, I don't know, there might be some, some surprise moves. Um, but it seems as though they might have something special there that the opportunity to to do something for the first time is something that's always very alluring for a player, you know, to be part of from the ground up. Um you know, they're playing consistently. So I think that's something that they have to take into consideration. If you go somewhere else, do you open yourself up to maybe not playing as much? The minutes are important, obviously, with a World Cup year just around the corner. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of things to kind of take into consideration. But ultimately, if, if you want to get into Serene Wiegmann's side, you need to be playing. So if they're playing and they're playing a lot and playing well, then at this moment in time, there might not be any need for them to move. Big fan of Onabadji. I've just got to say that as well. I think she's <laughs> such a good player. Uh, but from a Reading point of view, Charlotte, uh, what do you think this scoreline said about them and the season ahead? I always knew it was going to be a, a tough test against Manchester United, especially with Toon and Russo, as we've just said. Hard to tell with one game in, to be honest, especially, you know, Reading are not affiliated uh, with a, the only team not to be affiliated with the men's Premier League club. So, you know, working on a much more limited budget. But we know how Kelly Chambers unites that group of players as we've seen last year as well. So it's very difficult. It's only one game. <laughs> um, so I don't think there'll be too many drastic reactions after that defeat, but they just have to pick up points uh, from those teams around them. That performance did kind of suggest that if there aren't some moves made in the in the transfer window in the winter it could be it could be a long season he delivers city away charged down by Villar and Daly will curl what a goal the star signing off the mark for Aston Villa on to the seven goal thriller which we were rubbing our hands together watching the updates on this one. Nobody thought that Aston Villa would end up beating Manchester City on the opening day. We know there was the mass exodus of players, but you look at the quality in your old side, Karen, and you still think that they had enough to beat Villa, didn't you? I mean, I've got a, a very biased hat on at the moment. And, you can um... put the bias hat on. We understand. We understand. But they, they did lose 4-3, just so you know. No, uh, oh, just so I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, please don't remind me. Um, no, you know, I was, I was on, um, I was doing some stuff for the BBC, and I, I was getting updates, and I was just like, what is going on over there? And um, if I'm being completely honest, yeah, of course, you know, l looking over the course of the schedule, you think right based on the history, City against Villa, you think right, we're going to pick up three points here. But fair play to Villa, you know, they've done so so well um bringing in some big names some big talent but ultimately i thought they played some good football as well you know rachel mm. daly was absolutely flying like hit, hit two great goals and and yeah we just didn't look as um we city didn't look as as solid in the back as as i would have liked it didn't look as organized as i would have liked and 
it just looked like um, a bit disjointed kind of all over the pitch. So, you know, there were some really positive moments, obviously, to come out of that, um, scoring three goals. I mean, I thought Laura Coombs was a, was a real standout for me. I'd love to see her get on the score sheet. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately just um, a bit disappointed with that result. Yeah, I mean, it was a game that ebbed and flowed, didn't it? Um, Certainly. The fact that Villa scored four goals and only had 37% possession also tells us quite a lot. I will bring you in, Charlotte, in a moment. I just want to, just because it is your former club, get your opinion on the midfield. Because you, you said about Coombs, but the midfield was decimated, Karen. And then in it this time, you've got Coombs, Engeldahl and Alexandre. That's right. What do yeah. you think? They're all very similar kind of players in a way. So I, I, I didn't feel like we were really, you know, you look at Ipa, like she plays fairly advanced for Sweden, um, Engeldahl. Um, in terms of Kumi, like she'd probably feel more comfortable maybe holding, um, but she did well to get forward. So I just don't think we're seeing the the, the dynamic balls through the midfield, the the control that we're probably used to, some of the discipline in the organization that we're probably used to behind the ball as well. So, you know, we leave ourselves very open for counterattacks as well. And there's just a lot of space. So those are the things that I I feel like I wasn't really used to seeing. So um, again, I think it's just going to take time. Everyone's getting used to playing with each other. Obviously, uh, Engeldahl didn't play a lot of minutes last season. It's going to be hard. There are a lot of new faces. So I think um, obviously Gareth Taylor in the build-up to this game called for patience um, and I think that's that's just what it's going to take so hopefully <laughs> we can um, stop conceding so many goals and string together um, you know a few more a few more points. Charlotte City did manage to pull the game back to 3-2 at one point which just goes to show what a thrilling game it was because when I say about ebbs and flows, you know, we had different leaders throughout this game multiple times then for Villa to go and nick it at the end 4-3. Rachel Daly, who Karen spoke about in her performance, we had assurances from Carla Ward right from the beginning of the season. You are not going to see Rachel Daly as left back and I think that cemented it, didn't it, that performance? We're not going to see her there ever again in WSL. From left back to centre forward. She was brilliant. She instigated the press, her work rate uh, and her even her movement, especially for her goal, her first goal. She didn't even look up she, her positioning. She knew exactly where the goal was and the swiveler, the hips, uh, great finish. And I think, you know, Wiegmann has instilled into that England team to recover the ball high up the pitch. And Daly was the one really pulling that uh, press together and being the instigator. She recovered the ball five times in in City's half and made three interceptions. So she was the real kind of lioness up there uh, sniffing it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And and City's then the poor balls into midfield. That's where they they were swamped. I thought Kenza Darley had a great game. Her kind of ball which slid down the left wing was really classy enjoyed that one and considering that you know Villa finished 10th and and 9th in their two previous seasons then it's a great result despite Manchester City's exodus like you'd take three points off Manchester City any day of the week 
We are going to pick the pace up in a moment. Um, just to finish, though, in terms of goals of the weekend, did it belong to Ashley Neville of Spurs? She opened the scoring in Spurs 2-1 win at Leicester. Was that the goal of the weekend or do you have a different opinion? Karen? For me, no. <laughs> I think you really have to question uh, Christy Lavelle there, to be honest. I knew you were going to um, say that. I knew, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, yeah. Look, it's savage, but it's honest. I mean, at the same time, I thought Leicester were rude. They were awful. Um, you know, I think there was no pressure on the ball. It was, a, don't get me wrong, it was a great, great goal from Ashton Neville. She, she did so well to recognize that they were dropping off, that she had that much space. Um, and obviously getting it on target in the manner that she did was, was fantastic as well. But I think, gosh, you, you, can't, you can't give anyone that much time and space on, at, at this level. Like, it's just, come on. Well, it was a losing start for Everton's new manager, Brian Sorensen. Uh, the Toffees beaten 1-0 at West Ham. Lisa Evans scored on the stroke of half-time. Paul Koncheski with a victory in his first game as Hammers boss. Uh, we all remember Coventry United's incredible great escape to stay in the Championship last season. It might take something similar. They're pointless at the moment, rock bottom after three games. And they were beaten 8-0 by Sheffield United on Sunday. Uh, Bristol City do lead the way. Uh, three wins out of three. Shania Hales with the only goal against Sunderland. And a shout out to our very own Anita Asante, who's been on this show, who's joined the coaching staff at City this summer. After the break, let's take a trip abroad. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. This 200-episode voyage into the true soul of football has so far raised such vital questions as what exactly is a half-chance? How do you get hired as a pundit on B in sports? Why do we still applaud a simple header back to a goalkeeper? What exactly is included in a footballer's proverbial scrapbook? What happened to stanchions? How many goals ahead did the underdogs need to be to constitute dreamland? And what's the classiest of all the classy touches? And we won't be hanging up our microphones for the World Cup either. Football cliches will be going strong throughout the tournament and we're still looking for the third and final piece of original punditry audio from the intro to Badil and Skinner's Three Lions. And if that wasn't enough, come and see us in the flesh on the Football Clichés live tour of London, Manchester and Dublin in November. It'll be the most pedantic footballing night of your lives. Football Clichés, the football podcast you never thought you needed. Out twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts from The Athletic. This is The Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Lucy Bronze, ahora por el carril central, con Jaycee, la saca para Cáceres y el gol. El gol de Jaycee. The Spanish season also got underway one week later than planned, but for very different reasons. Uh, the referee strike there causing all games in the now fully professional Liga F in Spain to be abandoned. Um, officials and the Spanish Football Federation have agreed upon better wages and working conditions, allowing referees professional status as well. It did mean that we got our first look at Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh in Barcelona shirts, a routine 2-0 victory for them over Granadilla Tenerife. 
relief. Um, Walsh was subbed off after 72 minutes. Uh, Lucy Bronze played the full 90. Barca were able to register her as an EU player as well, as Bronze has got an EU passport through Portuguese family, which Karen already knew because she was nodding along there in the background. Um, let's also bring you up to date on Georgia Stanway and how she got on with Bayern Munich. She made her debut. She was booked, actually, after seven minutes. <laughs> I'm just going to let you laugh there in the background, Karen. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> the only Bayern player to get booked as a new side drew nil-nil at Eintracht Frankfurt. Well, I mean, your laughter tells us everything. Should we begin with Georgia Stanway? Um, but also give us your thoughts on Bronze and Walsh as well and how you think they'll fare abroad. Uh, well, I mean, Georgia, I mean, where do you even start with her? I mean, the amount of times I've come away with like bruises on my shins and nearly broken legs and training like this girl loves a tackle you know <laughs> but it, it says it all you know like she she wants to win she's a competitor just like lucy just like kira and you know she she just she just loves throwing herself about you know that that physicality is something that you don't necessarily see a lot in uh, the wsl um so yeah i think it sets her apart but you know as we saw over the course of the euros as well like she's starting to mature into into that as well you know so she's she's recognizing when she can and when she can't do it but you know um she's <laughs> she's probably super keen you know to kind of put herself in good stead over at Bayern Munich and kind of set her stall out and I think she probably probably did that so you know fair play to her um I think it's going to be really good for all of these girls to kind of go abroad and get a new experience I think it's going to really develop them not just as footballers but as people and open their eyes to how, how other parts of the world play football and how other people live. I've seen some highlights already of Walsh doing what she does with those crossfield passes. <laughs> you see that? She just does it with ease, doesn't she? It's so natural for her, isn't it? It's like she does it in her sleep. Um, you know, some of the, the vision that, you know, I've seen from her, I just think I just think of her as like Rochdale royalty, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'll, <laughs> I'll always remember yeah. her like when she first came into City and she was like really quiet. Didn't say a whole lot, but as soon as she got her frilly socks off and put her boots on, you know, she was letting her football do the talking. So she, she you always painting the picture the... there, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, just picture it. I mean, she what was she at St. Bede's College at the time? And she'd get come over from college, like just get changed, um, you know, just say a little hello. And then, then she'd go and do her thing on the pitch and absolutely just leave us all mouths agape with, with wow. what she could do with a football at her feet. So, yeah. I'm really looking forward to what she does, you know, surrounded by such talent over in Barcelona. Brilliant. Frilly socks and all. Um, Caroline Weir. <laughs> She's going to hate me for saying <laughs> she, is, she is going to hate you for that. Caroline Weir also started for Real Madrid in their 2-0 win over Valencia. Um, I guess just to round this off, Charlotte, um, I mean, we know how strong Barcelona have been, but how strong do you think that this newly professional Liga F is going to be? It's an interesting one because you have got, you know, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Athletic Club knocking at the door, uh, I, not in the realms of kind of Barcelona's domination, but we've seen, you know, Real Madrid knocking out Manchester City in two consecutive years. I think there still are concerns, at, you know, mid-table to bottom of the table. There's a, a big gulf we have seen that with the referee strikes and DAZN now have the rights to broadcast the Spanish league, but that deal was only agreed kind of late on, um, I think a couple of days before the season started. So 
it's going in the right direction, but there are still concerns of how much funding the mid-table and bottom-of-the-table clubs have and how they can keep up with the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid who will be pushing for that you know, Champions League. I'm sure there's equal concerns in this country about things like that as well. I mean, I know it's not one team running away with it, but it's certainly going to be more difficult to try and keep up with WSL teams if you're in the championship or lower levels of the pyramid, I think. Um, One for another day. Uh, Coming up, we're joined by Gabby George as we look ahead to a big weekend of derbies in the WSL. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Next weekend is a mouth-watering one in the WSL. The North London derby at the Emirates and the Merseyside derby taking place at Anfield. Earlier, I had a chat with someone who's Everton through and through. Their first full-time professional, actually, Gabby George. Obviously, you've had uh, Brian Sorensen in the job for a while. And so I think having him there behind the scenes, do you think that's helped? Yeah, I think it was it was a breath of fresh air, really. It's- Everyone was learning a new style of play and every day was a learning day. And I think that's important not to not to lose that. I think sometimes days can become repetitive, but I think with Brian, we're always learning and always wanting to improve as a team and, and trying to put that day in, day out into practice. How would you describe Everton's style of play under him now then? What should we be looking out for? I think you should be looking out for a possession-based team and, and people that react quickly um hopefully we will play some exciting football and, and score some goals but also at the other end we will put our body on the line and and get numbers around the ball I think being a manager it's trying to bring that across and bring in players that are able to do that style of play and I think that's what he's done with all the signings that we've made and not just good players but they're all good people as well which is important too um to have a good changing room and I think training is exciting because the competition for places is massive. Um, I think we haven't got a massive squad, but we've got near enough to in every position. So anyone can play from the weekend. So it's important that you train well. I think a lot of them have got loads of experience in different countries and, and for the countries, and that's important. So when it comes to to looking at this weekend and how much it would mean to you, I mean, have, have you ever done that visualisation thing, Gabby, of you know you scoring as a defender coming up for a corner or something like that? I just visualise winning. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main I think, thing. I think being a footballer, you you play to win games of football and we all had disappointment last weekend, but we've learned from it and I think it's important that we do learn from it. Um, and then we go into this game and we give everything, um, like I said, not just for ourselves, but for the badge and for the fans that are going to come down and, and be shouting for us. I think that's important. We want to get as many fans as we can and try and turn it into a home game for us because it is in Liverpool and it is touching distance for all the Evertonians. So hopefully we can get as many as we can down. And what is it that you did learn from that opening day defeat? Why do you think that happened? I think we just we didn't do what we we'd been doing in pre-season consistently and I think that's the key part doing everything that we do consistently but it is a process and it is a new style of play for us so we just have to keep building game on game and hopefully after a couple of games we will have it and it'll come natural to us which will be good. Just give me a little bit of a, a an indication of the dressing room and the talk that goes on there. You've been here eight seasons, as I've said, but I know Tony Duggan is obviously, obviously born in Liverpool. Who is it that's telling everyone about what you've got to go and leave on the pitch and, and giving the history to this fixture? Yeah, I think we've got quite a lot of people that 
are good communicators and good leaders in the team. So it's never just one person. There's a, a collective people that take it on board. But I think I think our dressing room is quite calm, to be honest. Um, I think we do what we need to do in the week in training. And when it comes to the game, we should be ready because we've done all the talking. We've been in for seven days. And I think that's when it becomes most important is taking on the information when you need to, which is in training. Come the game day, we should be able to relax and, and hopefully it'll be free flowing. Do you like being the away side? I don't mind. <laughs> I think last time we played at Anfield, we our fans were amazing. Um, it didn't feel like an away game. And to be honest, it's a stadium that Liverpool haven't played on as much either. So I think getting as many blues as we can there will, will make it good for us and it will be important for us. Gabby George there, courtesy of Everton sponsors Stake. Be gamble aware. So, Charlotte, Karen, two huge games there, made all the more interesting after last weekend's results. And then we add in the Derby factor. Um, former player, I've got to start with the Derby stuff. Because what does it mean? Is it is it a big weight? Is it a responsibility? It's just so fun. It's just so fun. Um, that's probably the best way to describe it for me. Um, obviously, like before Man United were in the WSL um, for, for the closest thing we could get for a derby was playing against Chelsea at city. Um, and I always looked forward to those games. They were, they were always going to be, well, they'd either be absolute stinkers and just nil nil, or they'd be absolute barnstormers and just like loads of goals and good football. But yeah, um, you know, casting myself back to a few years ago when United played city at Eddie had and, you know, there's all the build up around it. The fans are all there. Everyone's like in a good mood. There's a good buzz, but you're just you're, you're just trying to get one over on your neighbors, aren't you? So there's there's always so much um, kind of riding on it in terms of like your fans, your friends, your family. Like everyone wants kind of bragging rights for you know until the next one anyway. But yeah, looking forward to to the North London Derby. I think it's going to be really really interesting, and obviously with the form that uh, Liverpool are in and, um, you know, Everton coming off a loss, I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Yeah, Charlotte, I mean, we know there's going to be um, a record crowd at the Emirates. We, we were already told about 45,000 tickets gone and hopefully more will turn up on the day. Um, so North London derby-wise, for you, do you think this is a routine Arsenal win you know they're they're at home they're on their patch they've played at the Emirates a few times before they've got off to a brilliant start is this going to be a really big ask of Spurs to get anything from this match everything's pointing in the right direction for a Spurs uh, upset then isn't it Lindsay (laughs) (laughs) after you said all that yeah possibly um you know on Arsenal's form you saw them against Brighton clinical clicking uh, haven't made too many changes over the summer, so haven't got a huge overhaul of players. But um, what Rianne Skinner did with Tottenham last season was hugely impressive. Arsenal, of course, <laughs> they're favourites to win it, undeniably. Um, but they they won't be going into this, you know, being cocky at all. They know that Spurs can spring up surprises as they did against Manchester City last season. Hey, in all seriousness, you know. Arsenal are the team that are playing an extra fixture between now and then. They've got Ajax in the first leg of their second round matchup in the Champions League on Tuesday. And so many of us will know as we're recording this what the result of that game is, but we're recording it before the game happens, just to point it out. But I mean, what sort of toll does that take 
Is it even a factor, Karen, or is that a doddle? A walk in the park a couple of games a week? I don't think you can call anything a doddle anymore, the way things are going. Um, Ajax are going to be, they're going to be a good side. You know, um, again, the, the, the game in the Netherlands is, is developed very, very rapidly, although it seems as though that Arsenal just keeps nicking all their players. Um, <laughs> an extra 90 minutes in the legs, you know, you can pick up knocks, you can, anything can happen. Let's have it right. So um, it's certainly going to make things a little bit more difficult. And, and, you know, hopefully Arsenal and Chelsea can go a long way into the Champions League. But it's something they're going to have to consider, you know, uh, when it comes to their league performances. Um, and they're going to have to find ways to, to manage that, whether it be squad rotation, you know, what have you, um, limiting minutes here and there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly going to have to be something that they, they work into their strategy over the course of the season. Well, we do hope that this one, um, Arsenal against Spurs, which is live on BBC One, by the way, on Saturday, 1.30 kickoff. We hope it's a new WSL attendance record. It's the sort of direction we want to go in post the Euros. Um, how about the one then that um, I'll be at? It's going to be a live game on Sky Sports Sunday night, 6.45, the Merseyside derby. You've already touched on the fact that um, obviously Liverpool got off to a great start. However, as we heard in that interview with Gabby, this isn't a ground that Liverpool women are used to playing at Anfield. They'll know what's involved with it. They know that it's important. They've been there a few times, but not too much. So it won't feel like a home stadium, will it? Because that's what Gabby was alluding to, Charlotte, is that it will feel more like a neutral ground in a way. Yeah, we've had that this debate a long time with Emma Hayes saying, you know, Kings Meadow, they want to make it their women's team fortress and, and that is their home advantage when they make it a hostile environment for teams to come and play at. Whereas when you have the big stadiums and it's more of a kind of neutral ground because uh, it is so large, pitch is bigger and not necessarily to full capacity, uh, then it becomes slightly more of a, a level playing field. I think we've got to, yes, it's brilliant that we have bigger capacities and the opportunity to play in those men's stadiums and depending on fixture clashes and pitch wearing as well with the men's teams have a sprinkling of those throughout the season. But WSL clubs have also got to invest in their women's grounds uh, and make sure that that is um, an enjoyable fan experience and get fans to come back so that they are at uh, full capacity when they play there as well. It is an interesting point, though, about uh, the, the bigger venues um, almost being neutral. Um, I think both teams are going to be equally as excited to, to play at Anfield. It, it, it's a perfect start for, for, for Liverpool if they can come away with six points for sure. Gabby did sound pretty confident though. I mean, she convinced me and and really the stats there aren't convincing right now for Everton. So the fact that she convinced me, I mean, they eight WSL games without a win for Everton now in a row if you go back to last season. Also, Sorensen has been there for some time. So any new manager that comes in doesn't usually have this bedding in period. He's had a huge amount of time, Charlotte. I, I spoke to Brian Sorensen at Finch Farm. Um, so, you know, he's very tactically astute as a coach. Um, and th there is a lot of kind of change in the squad uh, that they've had to build. But he's talking about the process, time, patience, but really wants to play, a, you know, aggressive front-footed, proactive uh, football. I think they were perhaps grateful of the postponement just of that one week because 
it was the first time that they'd had all their squad together after the international break. And he's had his you know, pre-season as well. So don't discount Everton. It'll be a really, really tough match for Liverpool. OK, I'm getting geared up. Um, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you, both of you. Um, this has been the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Do tell friends, all and sundry, about us. Uh, Karen and Charlotte, thank you for your time. What are you up to then over the weekend? Are you at any of these matches? We know that you're busy squirrelling away on the Diallo case, Charlotte. I'm dashing off to Borehamwood tonight. I'm just about to get my train for Ajax. And then, yep, I'll be North London Derby and potentially uh, Chelsea Man City. As for me, I think I'll be firmly plonked in front of the television this weekend trying to watch as many of these games as possible. (laughs) With the doggo, Karen, with the doggo. That's right, that's right. He is currently looking at me with the saddest eyes you've ever seen. So he will be... I won't say the word. I'm not going to say the word, but he's waiting for something, isn't he? He is. He is. W-A-L-K, it's not, yeah. It's probably not what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably P-O-O. Oh, okay, okay. We'll move on. Thank you very much for listening before we put you off your dinner or whatever you're doing right now. Um, <laughs> we always want to hear your thoughts at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. Do get in touch. We will be back next week. The Athletic.